Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. You guys all look incredibly fresh for this time of morning. Um, The motto in my house is fake it till you make it and get some coffee, but (laughs) we're here nonetheless, so hopefully I'm going to be able to string my words together into um, intelligent sentences for you all. For anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Sarah and my husband Travis and I attend the chapel here with our little daughter Eleanor um, and we, we love this church, we love calling this place home and if you're new or visiting, we're so glad you could be with us today. We're up to week three, I'm just going to move this bag, we're up to week three in our series on the book of 1 John and we have quite the passage unpacked today, so I hope you have come prepared to take notes. We're going to be reading through uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 28, but I would just like to take a moment to pray with you before we all jump into that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of living in this day and age, in this country and this time where your word is so freely accessible and we have the freedom to worship you and come together in the name of Jesus. Lord, please take this message this morning, take um, this word, Lord, and just by the sword of your spirit, divide it so that it will minister to the needs and the hearts of every individual in this room or listening on the podcast uh, in the weeks and months to come. We bless your name and we just pray that these next 15 minutes or so give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to dive right in. We're starting at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And I'm not sure if we're... Yes, we've got it on the screen, so you can follow along with me. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If love for the Father is not in them. Okay, straight away contradiction for me. What happened to John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. John's telling us not to love the world, but God loved the world. And I thought we're supposed to be like God. So which one is it? Well, thankfully, verse 16 is going to help us out. So we're going to read that one now. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the father, but from the world. So the world that John is talking about here is referring to these three things. So it was a false alarm. We are still called to love God and love people. That command has not changed. If anyone in the room was like, oh, phew, off the hook, I don't have to do people anymore. Sorry, that's not how this works. (laughs) There is a small issue with this translation for me, though. Oh, it's not up there at the moment. But the lust of the eyes, um, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It kind of gives me like this flashback to black and white movies and you've got the priest there with the high collar and everybody sitting in hardback pews, lost of the eyes, lost of the flesh. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I actually love black and white movies, but um, it just doesn't feel very relevant or it's kind of like we need a version update here. So we're going to read it in the NLT. Verse 16, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Okay, straight away, this is more relatable to me. It's in everyday English, but we're just going to really break this down and make it relevant and personal. So the first two points, craving for physical pleasure and craving for everything we see. Notice it only offers the craving. It doesn't offer the satisfaction. Worldly physical pleasure is anything that we can look to for entertainment, comfort, escape, indulgence, to heighten our senses or to numb our senses. 
But the thing is, it just always leaves us wanting more. It is an unfillable void. Pretty much, if you left me with a packet of Daryl Lee chocolate licorice bullets, it will always leave me wanting more. Enough is never enough. Um, But the thing is, what did Jesus say about it? What's the contrast here? Well, in John chapter 4, verse 14, we have, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That sounds satisfying to me. The world can only offer the craving, but Jesus offers the fulfillment. And here we kind of get this first nod that we're going to couple uh, come over a couple of times in this passage today of the temporal versus the eternal, that um, dissatisfaction against Jesus' fulfillment. It also covered, um, do not love the pride of life or pride in our achievements and possessions. One Greek professor described pride as the empty arrogance of making a living. It turns out that I think this has actually been a a default desire in humankind. Um, Well belong, Australians came up with the great Australian dream and, you know, being homeowners and everything like that. And Jesus tackled this issue. This is how we know this has been right throughout humankind. It's in Luke uh, chapter 12, and we're going to read the parable here of the rich fool. Starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. This reminds me a little bit of that lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, doesn't it? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things from themselves, but is not rich toward God. I think if I was to sum up this, the pride of life in my um, in my own words, I just believe Jesus is saying here, prioritize people over possessions. It is that simple. Don't love the world, just like John said, but let's be like God and come on, let's love the world. So if we head back to 1 John and we pick up at verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It just drives it home. It's this battle, the battle of the temporal versus the eternal. God's do not is purely out of love for us here. It's for our benefit because he knows that just craving things of the world always leave us empty and dissatisfied. Okay, we're plunging in deep. We're going to keep moving forward in our passage unpack this morning. Um, The next few verses might feel like a bit of a tangled mess, but I'm hoping when we come out the other side, you're going to see there's a common thread. And we're going to try and clarify these three questions. Who is the truth? Who is the liar? And who is the antichrist? Big topics. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. This just produces a lot of questions for me, but we're going to keep reading. 
but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Okay, now think quick. Hands in the room. Um, Can someone call out for me? Who is the truth? Frank, you were quick. You're on the money. And because you paid attention in Sunday school, here's a Mars bar. Good cash. (laughs) Okay, so verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Okay, who's the truth? Oh, dang. You're well, just like too many people said Jesus at the same time there. So we'll just have to go lucky dip, catch somebody. <laughs> I'm a good throw. <laughs> okay, but we've established it, right? Who's the truth? Jesus. Thank you. I'm glad we're all on the same page because I'm out of Mars bus. Okay. Now, knowing who is the truth is integral in us determining who is the liar. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let's start unraveling this. So in verse 18 and 19, we've got people that have gone out and they were named Antichrist. We know that they were declaring that Jesus is not the Christ because this is John's definition for an Antichrist. They weren't necessarily denying Jesus the man or Jesus the prophet or his existence. They were denying Jesus the Christ, that is the Son of God. I think this is a really clear example for us in a modern day culture that says we need to be all inclusive and all accepting, that if we are to just say everyone's religion and beliefs and examples are right, we have to be so careful because it's actually automatic denial of Jesus as the Christ. Not just of Jesus, but Jesus as the Christ. He can't be the truth if he is one of many truths. Verse 22, how interesting. We've established that Jesus, solely Jesus is the truth. Jesus' singularity alone. But when John writes, who is the liar, it's met with plurality. He actually says, whoever denies Jesus as the Christ. We know earlier he said that many antichrists have gone out. So if this represents many, it feels like a bit of a grammatical error to me. Is John talking about one person as the liar or many as the liar? And I think he actually left a clue for us in another book he wrote and named after himself. Okay, maybe the name came later. In John chapter 8, verse 44. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. Now, if Satan is the father of all lies, how clever that if he can simply get us to be accepting of all beliefs and religions, that automatically means that Jesus cannot be the way. It makes God out to be the liar. The very notion of being able to accept all, or in this case, accept both, is impossible. We don't need to outrightly deny Jesus. We simply have to be accepting of more than one way. And how much does that contradict that he is the way, the truth, the light? Verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. This made me go, what did they hear in the beginning? That was the first question when I read this verse. And it turns out that we actually find the answer in the chapter we're covering in service next week. But I wanted to put the room to a vote. If you like a spoiler alert and want to know today, please raise your hand. 
Ooh, okay, and who wants the suspense and is going to wait for next week? Okay, thank you. <laughs> we get to read it. <laughs> so John 3, 11, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Bang, there it is again. Keep it simple. Love God. Love people. It does not change. Verse 25, this is what he promised us, eternal life. We've got such polar opposites here. Two fathers, one of lies who was a murderer. And then we have another who is one of truth and has promised us eternal life. Here again, we see the, the origin of um, that temporal, things that die away in the eternal, things that last and come from eternal life. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Why? Why is Satan so hell-bent, no pun intended, on leading us astray? I think there's a reason. I know there's a reason. John used the phrase antichrist and not anti-Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? It's to help us understand. It helps us if we understand the meaning of Christ. In the original Hebrew, it actually means the anointed one and his anointing. This is just allow this to shift your mindset around the name Jesus Christ. If we read verse 20 again, it said, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. See, you have an anointing. The moment you acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, you've acknowledged the anointed one and therefore you are covered in Christ Jesus. You have an anointing. If the enemy can convince us that Jesus is not the Christ, not only does it demote Jesus to nothing more than a man, but removing Christ from Jesus' name strips the anointing power away from people that place their faith in him. Can you see why the enemy would be so threatened by us going around as Christians? In Jesus Christ's name, I have the mind of Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. I can do all things through Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. I have the power of Christ, the anointed one and his anointing on the inside of me. We are a threat to him. We must not lose the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, father of truth, not the liar, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Uh, what caught me in this verse was you don't need anyone to teach you. I actually don't think this is permission for us to stop showing up on Sundays. Don't read another leadership book. Why go to Connect Group? I don't need anyone to teach me. I really don't think that's what it's saying. I think it actually is putting the responsibility back on us to use our own spiritual muscle. Don't just rely on a message from week to week, but get into the Word of God every day. Don't just ask other people to pray for you, but pray to God personally. You have a relationship with Him. And when you pray, pray in Jesus' name. If we pray in Jesus Christ's name, there it is. We're praying in the anointing. This verse actually shuts down our doubts about what if it doesn't make sense to me or what if I don't pray the right words. Newsflash, it's not about you. No, his anointing will teach you. It is never about the rules with God. It's always about remaining in relationship with him. So we're going to wrap with this final verse, which I just hope you can um, allow to soak into your heart and, and speak to you in a fresh way this morning. John chapter 15, verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Wrapping with verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So going forward practically with this passage, I wanted to, to just give a bit of context to this passage right at the start. Um, the very first line of this whole chapter is this, 1 John 2 verse 1, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So we're, we're talking about that sin and, and um, a worldly perspective on life. And so he's writing, this is John writing to, to Christians so they do not sin, but... But if you do sin, and just before this in John, it's saying that if you say you, you don't sin, then you're making not only yourself a liar, but, but you're making out God to be a liar. Like we sin, so it's not if you sin, it's when we sin. But when you sin, there is someone to plead before the Father. So I just wanted to, to as we're talking about this, about not sinning and, and trying to not sin, just know that, that when we do, not if we do, but when we do, when we fall short, there's someone, Jesus, who paid the price and he pleads. He, he fights our case. But the thing with a case is he needs to be able to make one. So that's what we're talking about, fighting the good fight so that Jesus can make a case and cover when we fall short. So let's get into this passage. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Oh, I'm going to read this again. I know um, Sarah has just read it. But here we have. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There's so much truth in this passage, and I think um, ultimately, ultimately, Living in a worldly perspective, and, and as Sarah established, they're not talking about the world, the world and people. God, we're, we're called to love people, love the world. But what we're talking about here is, is a, a worldly perspective that ultimately comes down to two things. A lot of our sin, I think pretty much all sin, if it boils down, comes down to two things, lust and pride. That's what the, this passage is saying. And there's a graphic that'll come up. And essentially the perspective, a worldly perspective, comes down to lust and pride and the last line there says it's temporal. So I don't know about you, but I know people who live with this perspective, with a, with a worldly perspective. People who approach life, um, you know, trying to, to create this image, trying to, to have this type of thing, always wanting what's out of reach, thinking the grass is always greener. My own family, I think, I, I, I've witnessed it firsthand, people who live for the world with a worldly perspective, and I don't know about you, but I don't want that for my life. And I, I don't think God wants it for my or your life either. And I think this passage is, is addressing that. But it's telling us we need to shift our perspective then. If it's saying don't be, don't be of the world, it's, it's saying that we, we're not to have a worldly perspective. So we need to shift our perspective from something worldly to what then? And I think the, the, the passage itself, the structure of the passage tells us what to shift our perspective to. Right at the end, the last word is the world is fading away and everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. So this passage, as Sarah alluded to, it's, it's suggesting this, this per perception, no, a shift of our perspective sorry, from, from the moment. 
from, from something temporary to something eternal. So it's a shifting our perspective from in the moment to eternity, to, to a kingdom perspective, to a perspective from, from God's perspective, a kingdom eternal perspective. And that's what we're going to chat a bit more about today. We need to shift our perspective from the moment to eternity. Because the issue with the moment is there's emotion. The issue with the moment is when we're living in the moment, living the life, it's about us. It's inward focus and, and it's fit, fueled by our emotion. And you would have heard it in primary school. Don't make a decision when you're angry because anger will make the decision, not you. It's not a profound concept. It's something very practical. When you live in the moment, you're driven by your emotion. You're driven by your, your needs and desires in the actual moment. So we need to shift from the moment. We need to shift from the moment to a perspective that's eternal. And this, this idea, it's actually a, a concept psychologists call futures thinking. Shifting your perspective from the moment to something in the future. It's a concept psychologists use in essentially all mental health type of work. Suicide prevention. Suicide prevention, that what you learn in suicide prevention training is, is when someone's in crisis, get them to shift their perspective from the moment, get them out of the moment and point to a, a point of hope, something in the future of hope. It's futures thinking. All mental health um, caseworkers, when they work with their clients, one of the main objectives is to create goals with clients. Because they know that when, when you're thinking about the future, setting goals and working towards the future, that's a way to be able to, to stay healthy. And it's actually, it influences our behavior. Having a, a perspective of the future has a dramatic impact on our, on our behaviors in the moment. I think one of the issues there, though, is, is having a goal of achieving something you're going to achieve. And it's, again, that's temporary. So I think they've got the concept right, but the perspective of eternity is what's missing sometimes there. And that's what I love about, about John Hees, bringing us back to that, that idea and that concept of futures thinking. And we'll always fight the good fight. That's the thing about eternity. It's forever, and so it's not going to run out. And so if there's any confusion about a kingdom perspective, we've established a kingdom perspective, moving from a moment, a worldly perspective, to a, a kingdom perspective. And let me explain very practically an example of that. And that's in Luke 23, verse 34. It's when Jesus says, Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now this moment right here, Jesus is on the cross being tortured and murdered by a group of people. And in that moment, what he does for the people is he pleads to his father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. He's responding out of a kingdom perspective. In the moment, he could have responded out of anger to the people who are literally murdering him, out of his pain, out of pride. He's God above him. Who are these people? Didn't need to address them. But no, he, he knows eternity is in the balance. He understands that, that he has a kingdom perspective and knows that these people's eternities is in the balance. So he chooses to plead, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they do. Um, I think this is, um, epitomizes what a, a kingdom perspective looks like. Christine, Christine Lowe, is she here this morning? She's not. She is. Christine Lowe. Uh, on Fridays, I work here um, for youth, and on Fridays, Christine will be pumping worship music, singing in here on most Fridays. And 
I love every now and then we bump in and we have a 10-minute chat on a Friday. And one week, um, Christine was, was, was chatting with me and she was, she was just saying, oh, you know, this week's been a bit harder. It's pile up of bills. And, and in this exact same conversation, just talking about, you know, going, going through a little bit of a hard time. Oh, there's, there's some bills piling up. In the exact same conversation, Christine tells me, oh, you know what? I'm trying to buy a vending machine and a hot dog machine to be able to bring them down to youth. She comes down on a regular basis and, and cooks popcorn for free for all the kids. In the same week, she's telling me how she's struggling with bills. The same conversation, she's telling me how she's trying to buy things for the next generation as a kingdom perspective. I love it. just wanted to give you a wrap, Christine. You're awesome. (laughs) And so to finish, we're going to talk about three different ways to keep a kingdom perspective. And the first one... And um, Sarah also alluded to this point, but it's renewing of our minds consistently. It's consistency. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know consistency creates outcomes. If you read any business book, mentoring, majority of them, pardon me, are all going to talk about consistency. Consistency is important. We need to renew our minds on a consistent basis. How consistent? I think daily. (laughs) I think more than daily. Every morning, I think we need to wake up and renew our minds and and go, okay, God, God, I'm going to have a a kingdom perspective. I'm going to wake up each day, taking a step into each day, renewing our mind, remembering the end goal, putting things in perspective of eternity, knowing that eternity is in the balance. I I think this is, is... what John's alluding to with the, the structure of this passage of a way to live, not a life of sin, not a worldly life, but a life after, after God, to have this kingdom perspective. And each day waking up, choosing, that's a choice. Christianity is a choice that we have to make in every moment of every day. It's not a one-off decision. We need to make consistently, renew our minds each day and choose to have a kingdom focus. Number two is understanding that pain produces potential. Pain is, is uh, sacrifice and hardship. It's not only just something that we have to deal with. It's actually promised as a Christian. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a promise as a Christian. Hardship, sacrifice. It's the straight and narrow path. It's, it's going to be hard. We're going to come into it. But in James verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy. Not just cop it on the chin. Not just cop it on the chin, but understanding pain produces potential. Consider it pure joy whenever trouble comes your way. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for everything. I think understanding that pain produces potential is a way to keep this this kingdom perspective. Because that's the time when we're going to struggle, when we, when we come into something hard, when we're going through hardship. Um, they're the times we're vulnerable. They're the times when, when we make the dumb decisions. But when we understand that pain produces potential, that God's growing us, that when we're going through something, you know what? We can't see it, but God, you're going to use it. God, you're growing me. I'm going to come out of this better. Helps us to have that kingdom perspective of eternity and, and know that we're fighting for uh, the um, salvation is in the balance. Eternity is in the balance of, of our lives and that's God's will for our life. And the last thing before we wrap is knowing the owner of the kingdom. If we're going to have a kingdom perspective, we need to, to know the owner. 
of the kingdom. In 1 John 2 verse 28, the the last passage of of, um, what Sarah was talking about. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So knowing that God is a gracious God, he loves us, and knowing his will. Us with each other. We need to have a relationship in order to know each other. We need to have a relationship. If we're going to have a kingdom perspective and have God's will for our life, what we chase, and, and, and have a focus and a perspective on life that's from God, we need to know God. We need to know His will. We need to, to pray. We need to read our Bibles consistently day in, day out, and get to know the, the owner of the kingdom in order to have a kingdom perspective. So three ways to have a kingdom perspective. Renew our minds consistently. Understand pain produces potential. And know the owner of the kingdom. So I'm going to pray now. And then we're going to enjoy the rest of our our Sundays together. So dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a good good father. Thank you that we are covered. But but Lord God, you create a way to, to encourage us and help us to live a life not of sin but of your will of your will and your, your perfect will, then we can live in your truth and stand boldly and confidently in your presence when we meet you and know that we're going to heaven because, Lord God, we chase you. In Jesus' name, we, we, just, we, we pray for, Lord God, this word to not just go in one ear and out the other, but, Lord God, be a seed in good soil that it stir in us and enable to help us to live our Monday to Sunday for you and you, you live in and through us through our weeks. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.